a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Hi, everyone. Editing Christina here. I just wanted to stop by before the episode gets started and let you know that we recorded this before the WGA and SAG AFTRA strikes started, or at least really caught momentum in a way that I noticed. So we do mention many, many works of film and TV that we endorse in this episode, but looking at it through the lens of the strikes that so many people are putting their time and energy into right now, it just didn't feel right to let those fly without a little announcement up here at the top to remind you to do your own research, make your own decisions, do your best to support creators and artists in your own community and beyond. That includes the stuff that you choose to watch. So we support artists and the work they do. We support fair pay for artists who are working on these movies for these, especially these major studios. So you'll be hearing an announcement like this at the top of every episode until the strikers and the studios come to terms that are agreeable to everyone, which I and everyone hope will be soon. Make your own choices. Your dad loves you. I'm proud of you, champ. I know you'll do the right thing. And if you want to learn more about the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes, please check the show notes for a link to their website. Welcome to the restricted section, the hardest breakup of my life, including January 2006 when Rory dumped me and I listened to Emojin Heap's Hide and Seek about 100 times per day. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we're talking about this week. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 3 Will and Won't, in which Dumbledore fetches Harry from the Dursleys to tell him that he's inherited Sirius's everything, including his house, and then whisks him away on an adventure. I'm your host, Christina. My co-host today is, I guess, assuming that we've invited her inside. Brooke, say hello to the listeners, Brooke. Hello. I am actually a vampire because in terms of bad (laughs) breakups, I never outgrew my twilight phase. So you did have to invite me in and thank you for doing so. (laughs) And I am so supremely excited because our special guests today are Katie and Emily from Potterversity Podcast. Say hello to the listeners, Katie. Hey, it's so great to be here. And say hello to the listeners, Emily. Hello there. Thanks for having us. Okay, so now the listeners have a grasp on your voices and can tell you apart. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Well, this is, uh, we call it the Hermione Approved Podcast. It's on MuggleNet. (laughs) And we do a lot of academic, uh, you know, Harry Potter analyses. But it's not just literary analysis. We do political, social. We look at the fandom. Um, So we're interested in all the scholarship out there. And we kind of like like a deep dive into, uh, you know, the world of the Potterverse. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. it's it's great. It's I love it because it's a it's kind of a virtual space where a lot of academics who love Harry Potter and love to talk about and analyze Harry Potter come together. So we get to um, host that party. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I feel like it's just a it's just a friendly air. You know, I kind of get to connect with people who are doing cool things and it's just really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful podcast, and um, one of my favorite episodes is one that actually came out um, a, maybe like a month ago by the time this episode comes out about um, Jane Austen and Harry Potter. I love that episode so much. I'm a huge Austen slut. Um, so I, I think there's like a little bit of something for everyone on your show. 
Yeah, we hope yeah. so. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and we uh, it's it's amazing. Like we never run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I'm sure you That's find awesome. that too. You know, yeah. there's always oh, yeah. something to say. Totally. So um, I know that y'all do a lot outside this podcast. What other kinds of things do y'all do professionally and, you know, for funsies? Yeah, well, I'm a historian, so I teach history at Marietta College. And um, I guess, you know, the question, like, why are you doing Harry Potter stuff? I'm interested in kind of the intersections of pop culture and history. So I've done some other things with, like, um, Connie Willis. She writes about time-traveling historians um, and uh, I got a new piece I'm trying to work on about the Princess Bride. So <laughs> I'm real. I'm just very keen on all those, you know, the way that like we understand history and our relationship to it through pop culture. That's just where my that's that's what brings me joy. That is so cool. And Harry Potter is definitely like a, the right place to be if you're looking at history through the lens of pop culture. It's happening, baby. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am also a professor. So I teach actually nursing students at a local college here in Columbus, Ohio, Mount Carmel College of Nursing. I teach them a comparative religious class and a cultural competency class um, to help them, you know, give uh, culturally competent care. Um, I have another uh, podcast called Meet Father Rivers. It's about um, a, a particular figure in the history of the Catholic, recent history of the Catholic Church who sort of broke racial barriers and composed music out of a black sacred song tradition. So, so that's kind of like totally different, but not really, because I'm also a musician, so it all fits together. Um, and I am huge on Star Wars as well. I've had a couple oh, I of... Need to, I need to connect you to somebody who's starting a new podcast. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm glad. I just had a new anthology um, that I co-edited with uh, Dr. Amy H. Sturgis on Star Wars Come Out, and it's a collection of 10 essays all about the galaxy far, far away. So I, I tend to look at the religious themes in popular culture. That's kind of my jam. Um, yeah. But I also like I have another I have an essay. I was interested in this chapter because I have an essay coming out soon in another anthology about parenting in Harry Potter and like what oh, the God, parenting yeah. styles are like in Harry Potter and what we can learn from them. So what parenting? No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, <laughs> it, do, it does exist. But like, damn, there's either we, too much or not enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we we need to work on that. Gotta say, I uh, I appreciate everything you do with religious education of nurses. You should have seen the panic in the nurses' <laughs> eyes when I went to have my baby, and they're like, "Any faith traditions?" I'm like, "I'm staunchly atheist, and my husband is very Catholic." So <laughs> good luck, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> they were like, um, the nurses were like that meme of that lady doing the math. They're like, "Oh, oh, oh yeah, like, who do I send <laughs> to this room?" <laughs> wow, and you know what? Brooke has a master's degree, and I was in gifted classes in elementary school, so this might be the most qualified episode of the podcast we've ever had. I'm like bringing it. it. My right. degree is in sustainable tourism. If we manage yeah. to work that in, I'll be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just say, too, I, that Emily very kindly allowed me to do an essay for her Star Wars book, uh, and it's a Harry Potter Star Wars mashup. It's oh my yeah, God. It Ray is. It's and brilliant. Ray what is you said, what is the book called again? It's called uh, Star Wars Essays Exploring a Galaxy Far, Far Away. And it's by Vernon Press. And as we're recording this, it was published yesterday. So <gasps> I'm still in party Congratulations. mode. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. That's incredible. Oh, my God. So I'm much. so excited for you. That A link to that will obviously be in the show notes. Look, there you are. Right there. Awesome. Right the Thank top. you. <laughs> and Katie's, I have to say, Katie's chapter is right after mine. We're chapter four and five. And Katie's... Um, 
uh, chapter will blow your mind in terms of the the parallelisms between Harry Potter, especially um, Harry and Ray, the character of Ray. So oh, super that brilliant is stuff. So cool. That is so cool. Okay, so everyone buy that. We obviously, I'm obsessed with that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Let's talk now. Katie, what is your Harry Potter history? Like, when did you get into the books, the movies? Like, what's what's up with that? Yeah, so I'm an older lady. <laughs> so I, I'm no shame in my age. I'm very happy to be my age, but I'm 51. So I was not a kid when the books came out. I didn't really, I wasn't interested at all. They were not on my radar when they first came out. I was in graduate school and graduate school will crush your soul. You know, it's full of dementors. Oh, <laughs> and, God, yeah. You know, and so my aunt gave me the first, I think, two or maybe even all three books. And so that's what they were there. And they were not, you know, postmodernist history. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I read them. And I was like, <gasps> like, it was just like being given back little bits of my soul. Oh, and so beautiful. Yeah. And oh so I just, I never really thought of myself as a fan. It's so funny. But I was like, everybody I knew, I was like, here, I bought you a copy of this book. Here, you should read this. <laughs> I want to talk to you about it when you're done. What chapter are you on? Uh, and then at a certain point, um, when I was in my first uh, full-time teaching job, well, I guess it's not my first one, but the tenure track job at Marietta College, you know, it's really, again, I was just burned out and like it was rough and I didn't have any ideas, but I was listening to Harry Potter book four while I washed dishes at night on mm -hmm. audio, Love Jim nice. Dale. And then I, I guess this maybe the second movie came out and I was teaching a course in European feminism and uh, it's like a European women's history course. And I thought, hey, the house elves are like unliberated 1950s housewives. And second wave feminism has a lot to say about house elves, which we'll be talking about later as well, like house elves and yes. you know, their, their bondage, which is kind of weird. Like, do they like it? Are they happy to be in domestic servitude or not? And, and if know, they are, what is that saying? Right, that right. Saying. And then vastly prefer that take to the slavery parallel. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I think I, it's, I'd agree. Yeah. I think it's hard to understand the perspective of like the house elves if you're thinking about it in terms of African American slavery. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, I think it's there's some similar themes there, but it, I thought it was a little easier to look at the feminist theoretical li literature as just a little bridge to that. Of, of course, they could be. They could represent all kinds of different things. Yeah. So. But I, I I really do like your reading because. You're, I mean, and we, and we will talk about this more later, but you're right that there is an element of, like, they, at least in the book, I don't agree with this decision, but they want to be there, so. Right, and they get their identity from that, and there's all kinds of, right, and, you know, Winky's so upset that she's, like, been divorced by Mr. Crouch, wow. and so, so, yeah, so I was like, I have an idea, and I wrote it up, and it was rejected from the book that I submitted it to, <laughs> but I got it into a conference and nice. from that conference, I just happened to be on a panel with somebody who did a podcast. And it was like, you know, when, you want to come on my podcast? And that was my podcast beginnings. <gasps> and I started to have more Harry Potter ideas. And that's, and here I am. 
That's right. amazing. I, I, I too <laughs> guessed it on a podcast and then was like, this can't be that hard. And <laughs> jokes on us. It is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hosting it. Oh man. <laughs> Just finding a time, you know, I don't know if you ever have to cross lots of time zones. <laughs> oh, oh God. To me, yes. like, oh. We're on a network and one of our beloved hosts of another show is in Australia. So whenever yeah. we do any network meetings or recordings or anything, it's like, um, so sorry, Sam. Can you please get up at six o'clock <laughs> before work? Does join, two a.m. work? <laughs> like he's joined a meeting from in bed, and it's like that's fine. <laughs> that's oh fine. sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We our technical director Emma Nicholson for Podiversity. She is also in Australia, and she routinely joins us before work. God bless her. But a lot uh, of times it'll just be we have a little um like a text thread, and <laughs> we'll just be like. You know, like debating something or, you know, discussing something or, you know, and Emma will we'll realize later that Emma, it was all night for Emma. Yeah, Emma <laughs> wakes up in guys. the morning and they're like 50 different messages. She's like, yeah, she's like, wow, I missed something, <laughs> <Yep>. didn't I? <laughs> oh, group chat. So beautiful. So obnoxious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Katie, what? And, and if you don't uh, uh, ascribe, no, if you don't subscribe to this, is that right? A scribe is good. A scribe. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't jive with this, then you don't have to answer it. But if this you is identify, not the vibe, <laughs> our very educated beginning. <laughs> Word retrieval is always like my biggest problem. I'm a, literally a writer and an editor and I get on this podcast and I don't know a single word. <laughs> but what Hogwarts house are you? Okay, so I have to say, I have been sorted into all the houses. Whoa, you're um, divergent. I guess, right, so the original Pottermore, the clunky one, yeah. I was sorted into Slytherin. And I was like, <gasps> and I was Identity like, crisis. trying not to panic, trying not to panic. And then when they came out with a new one, I was like, ooh, I'll do it all over again. Because you had to do it all over again. And I, I was working very hard to not be Slytherin. <laughs> And I came out <laughs> mm. Hufflepuff. It seems like, like maybe that's something a Slytherin would do. Though. Maybe, right? I don't know. But I'm like, not Slytherin, right? The hat listens. Not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Um, so, uh, but on uh, some other quizzes, I have come out Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. And I personally think I would probably be a Ravenclaw. Although I do love Hufflepuff values. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm into the Hufflepuff values. And I like the badger. That's yeah, the badger's totally. cool. We've been kind of having this conversation ongoing on the podcast about like what even is a house. And I think that <laughs> right. what we've what we've kind of landed on is that it feels best for everyone when they're aspirational. You know, like I I mm. value the values of Hufflepuff House. Am I always like the best friend? No, I make mistakes and sometimes I Gryffindor my ass straight into something that I have no business. <laughs> being a part of but like I think the fact that you aspire to the Hufflepuff values is what makes you a Hufflepuff nice I'll take that woo okay Emily your turn what's your Harry Potter history tell me everything so it's a little similar to Katie's in that I was a first year master student when a friend of mine handed me the first three books I had just read like a bazillion theology books for the semester and it was like way too much a, in my a bit of light reading a bit of light reading um and she was like here you go brain candy for you and I did I totally burned through them but then the more I read them the more I studied I was studying theology so I was like yeah oh my gosh like there's a lot going on here that really overlaps with my studies and um so I just became really intensely interested in 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 the books um for those reasons and I 
would listen to podcasts while I jogged at the gym and I would like shout my part of the conversation because I had <laughs> parts of the conversation that were not being represented and I and everyone else in the park is like, uh, don't go near that person over there. Right, right. And it was like, well, it was like me running around the gym at my the school that I taught at. And this like my students would like they would never know me because when I suck my hair back and put it in a hat, like you can't and have my glasses off, like you oh, don't yeah. I don't look the same. They would be like, Who's that uh Professor Strand? <laughs> so like, She's shouting about Harry Potter. So um <laughs> and they knew. They knew about the Harry Potter. A menace so, to the neighborhood. Yeah, totally. So um, um, so eventually, yeah, eventually I actually ended up taking some graduate courses at an online institution called Signum University, which is still going strong. And they have all kinds of graduate master's level courses on pop culture um, properties like Harry Potter and Star Wars. Um, cool. I've taken courses on science fiction there. I've taken a course on Star Trek and uh, Celtic myth and children's fantasy literature. I mean, just really awesome <gasps> topics. Yeah. And, and for master's yeah. credit, very affordable, all online Super awesome, great, um, great outlet for probably some of your listeners if they're interested in graduate work, but kind of don't yeah. want to go the traditional route. Mm -hmm. So I took a course on um, Harry Potter from Amy Sturgis, um, and she, um, I was like talking in, there was like a discussion thread, like, you know, you had to like post a certain amount. And so people were like posting, like, what is the thing that you think doesn't work in Harry Potter? And so Where do many, I begin? Well, right. I mean, it, there was a diversity of responses, but I have to say the most overwhelmingly popular response was Quidditch. And I was like... <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, guys, but Quidditch is not really supposed to be there to be a sport. It's supposed... It's symbolic of the narrative. And they were like, what? Whoa. <laughs> like, I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, isn't it obvious? And they were like, write it down. So I wrote it down and I ended up being published in um, an anthology. And that is how I got started being invited to be on podcasts. And then eventually Katie so kindly invited me to co-host Potterversity with her. So that's kind yeah, of my and wow. so So here's how Emily and I connected together too. Like who gave Amy Sturgis her first Harry Potter book? Like, she was my friend in graduate school, and I was oh like, my God. Amy, I know you're a very dark person and not likely to <laughs> want to read a children's book, but this one starts with a double murder, so I think you're going to like it. <laughs> well, and, it, it looks like she also worked on this Star Wars book that's yeah, right. open. And, <laughs> yeah, and she's big into all this, and so um, so she and she got very into it, and then she taught that class at Signum, and I was putting together uh, Harry Potter for Nerds 2, and uh, this anthology of Harry Potter essays. And I was like, I'm looking for good essays. And Amy was like, I got this person in my class right now. Emily Strand, she's writing about Quidditch. And I was like, bring oh it. Oh my God. Yep. Okay, so obviously we'll be covering a lot of this on the bonus show because this is all... You just blew my mind wow. that the Quidditch is it's a metaphor for the story. Hey, if you go to... Uh if you go to academia.edu and find my profile, which is just Emily Strand, you can um, download that paper um, for free. It's, it's just it's right really there. cool, and it's a fun it's a fun little paper. I feel like it's not it's it's academic, but it's not because it has footnotes. But it, it's not like like anybody can understand it. You know, like it it tells a yeah. pretty coherent um, you know makes a pretty coherent argument for why yeah. Quidditch is really just kind of this symbol set in the narrative that points wow. in all these different like the way that it has two spheres of play like that makes no sense for a sport. That it makes doesn't. no sense. It's like a football one one critic I read said it's like a football game going on, American football game with like 
a couple people pay- playing tetherball in the middle of the field. Yes. Like it makes yes. no sense whatsoever. But narratively, it works perfectly because you have the war against Voldemort going on and the Death Eaters versus the Order of the Phoenix. But then you have Harry and sometimes Ron and Hermione working independently to do this secret thing that people don't, aren't even aware of. So it it really works on a lot of levels. Like I, the more I looked into it wow. and wrote about it, the more I more like connections that I found and I was like whoa she didn't know about sports but she knew about narratives and symbols this is incredible so usually the guests on this podcast are like my stoner friends from college (laughs) so this you're blowing my mind right now these are like two we're like right out the gate with two like awesome incredibly digestible takes on the two most hated elements of this narrative (laughs) that's right we're here we're here to provide we're here to provide that's amazing Um, Emily, what Hogwarts house are you if you ascribe or subscribe or jive I with that? I do both, and I do both to Gryffindor. <laughs> Every awesome. test I take is like, Gryffindor! They're like, okay, three quick, Gryffindor! Oh my god, oh my god, Gryffindor! <laughs> okay, I love that for you. That's awesome. And I'm so sorry, it's been a while since we've had new guests on the podcast, so you'll have to apologize for my rudeness in not asking you sooner for the both of you to please tell the listeners what your pronouns are. Oh, mine are the female pronouns. She, her. She, her. Yep, me too. She, her. Amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. So it's time to get to the chapter. I love a good little pre-chapter chit-chat. So I, I feel like I feel like we don't even need to talk about the chapter. I've learned so much already today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a good chapter. <laughs> yeah, it is a good chapter. It is a good chapter, which is shocking. This is chapter three, will and won't. It's shocking that it's good because this is usually the worst, weakest chapter of any Harry Potter book. The Harry Potter was a very special boy chapter. (laughs) I think that our saving grace is by book six. The author was like, you're not reading this without having read the rest. You're just not doing that anymore. (laughs) So, but previously, every single book, we've had a chapter that's been like, Harry Potter was a very special boy, and he was asleep in his bedroom, but it wasn't an ordinary bedroom. It had magical (laughs) things in it because Harry Potter was a magical boy. Right. No, but I love this one. Can I tell you? So I, of course, I was like, oh, it's chapter three. It will be very easy for me, and I really should, you know, for accuracy, I should read all the the chapters around it. (laughs) So just any excuse to go back into it. And I was like, okay, so this book has a weird beginning, right? Yeah, it's totally different. From, like, a crazy point of view, like the Prime Minister of England. That is, that is our point of view to <laughs> the start muggle, with. Prime Minister of England, yes. Yeah, muggle. Yeah, right. And so, and then you have really creepy Chapter 2, Spinner's End. And I know you, your previous podcast will have, will have done this. And that's mm-hmm. a super creepy chapter. That's where the movie starts, the story. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then for our chapter, it starts with Harry's face smushed <laughs> on the window glass. It's like adults a- are doing very serious things and Harry's just asleep. He's just right. asleep. It's like right. comedy. It's you oh, it's you start the chapter funny. and you're like, oh, now it's time for the humor. Now I'm going to get my comic relief. <laughs> but she's also in the chapter. Um, it also is such a more natural backstory dump than yes. everything that comes before. Because like if you if you study fiction writing, you know, if you if you are in a writer's group or what you read books about fiction writing. Everything they say is don't backstory dump. You cannot do that. Not in the first chapter of your book. You need to start with action. You need to start with something that's exciting, intriguing. And she violates that on the regular, as you said, you know, by giving you all this backstory. I went back and looked at the corresponding chapters in book two 
and oh, yep. um, and they were just egregious in the backstory dump. And here she gives you this really fascinating window into what's happening in the wizarding world by just laying a bunch of um, with this omniscient point of view, you know, all knowing, yeah. right, all seeing, laying a bunch of articles out on Harry's bed for you to only be able to read part of, which is so tantalizing because you want to read the rest of them. They're interesting. They and it, are interesting, but it's also great because it's like, well, if we read the whole thing, that would be too much. It would be chapter. too much, right? <laughs> it just gives you exactly what you need to know to remember mm-hmm. what happened at the end of book five. Yeah. And then here's what I was thinking. So also then the last bit of writing that you read is the only thing that Harry really cares about, which is the letter from Dumbledore saying Dumbledore's yeah. going to pick him up after he's only been at the Dursleys for a couple of weeks. And that's the one he's like been fixated on and it's it's flat. He's been reading it so much. And so I really, I thought that sort of showed you the the importance of the yeah. documents in the, you know, in the narrative itself. So I thought that was cool. I think it's also interesting that the, the articles focus on three different things and there's three different perspectives like it feels mm-hmm. like it's written by three different writers or possibly three different publications it feels like you're cross-referencing news sites you know what i mean like one yeah. of these is fox one of these is cnn one you know what i mean <laughs> so as you get into the narrative as we kind of settle back into our primary point of view that we're used to living in for these books you're still getting these inserts of like the wizarding world like wider points of view on the current events which this character has been involved in yeah, which is wild because we've absolutely never heard of a publication outside of the Daily Prophet, the Evening Prophet once, and the Quibbler. So it's like, I guess there is a different newspaper. Yeah, and I like the government documents. Whenever she does government documents, it's so funny, right? Because <laughs> it's like the mimicking of the tone. It's yeah. just spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are, let's go... Real fast through the articles. The first article we look at, Harry Potter, The Chosen One, is basically a recap of the last book's finale. The next article talks about how Scrimgore, Scrimgore, oh my God, I looked up, I will look up the pronunciation of this name 100 times and I will not retain it. I think it's Scrimgore. Scrim- I mean, it, it looks French in the end, which would lean to a Scrimgore. Scrimgore. Yeah. I usually just say Scrimgore. Just, yeah, I just kind of sm- smush it and just. And when I, it was one of those things where when I listened to the British pronunciation of this name, it was like not intuitive to me, and mm. I can't, I can't retain it. So my childhood brain Im- inserted scrimmage and moved right along, <laughs> <laughs> like scrimjower, but like you know, yeah. So Ain't the that. next article, uh, yeah, we all, we all hate it. Um, <laughs> the next article talks about how he has replaced Fudge as the Minister of Magic, which we know already um, from the first chapter. But then we also learn in this article that Dumbledore has been reinstated as at the Wizengamot. Why did I spell it the way that fucking Fudge says it in the movie? Do you remember when in the movies he says it dumb one time? And I, I like oh, spelled it he? that way. Yeah, I think it's in book three. He says like Wizenagamot and I <laughs> spelled it that way for some reason. Well, He's you know, it's based, on the old, it's based on the old Anglo-Saxon Council of Elders. Oh, that's cool. So, but it's, I think that's Wittangamut. Oh, Witten. that's really cool. My brain was just going to Entmoot. <laughs> and my brain like, is yeah. always going to Entmoot. Yeah. Entmoot. <laughs> so don't be hasty. <laughs> my whole brain in the background is just the trees blowing in the wind and assuming that they're saying something important. <laughs> they always are. 
So then the third article mentions new security measures at Hogwarts. And then it's like, we can't tell you what they are, but here's what they are. (laughs) The insert quote from Neville's, what is it? She, his grandmother. Grandma Augusta. She's taking her five minutes of fame and sprinting with it. Like she even name drops Harry. She she does. She does. And he was with them at the ministry. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I love that. And like Neville, Neville deserves some props. Yeah. I think that's, it's really nice because we are kind of first introduced to her in the last book. And one of the things that is the overwhelming character trait is that she is not proud of Neville. She disagrees Mm -hmm. with almost the entire way that he does anything. So this does seem like a moment of her being like, actually, I'm pretty proud. Kids got balls. It's, I, (laughs) you know, one of the hallmarks of truly good writing, especially when we're looking at a seven book series like this, is do most of your characters, even your side characters, have arcs in their own way? And like Augusta Longbottom, we see her for all of like four sentences, but she has an arc. And her arc goes hand in hand with Neville's arc as Neville sort of like comes into himself and gains his confidence and becomes like the one true Gryffindor. Augusta, by the end of the series, is like, I'm here to fight with my grandson. And I I just got chills because it's like a truly beautiful moment. Um, But she in this article really reminds me of my own grandma who, (laughs) you know, when she was still with us, was so ready to like talk to anyone about anyone's business. Like... (laughs) Like, let me tell you about my grandson and Harry Potter. (laughs) Well, I feel like this is really real life, too, because I don't know about you, but I know somebody who has several children and the children are like really talented. And I I look I'm looking at them and I'm going, all those children are really talented. Mm -hmm. But like the mom will refer to one routinely as a dud. (gasps) <gasps> I know I know and like I think she, maybe she's Ooh, trying to be funny fuck? like I think I really honestly think she's trying to be funny but to an outsider funny. it's a little no. scary but I always think about Neville when this is going on and I just wonder and hope that that one kid will someday do something that catches her attention enough to make her realize like I am proud of this one too, you know? He, yeah, like, well, and even more than that, like himself feeling like he has worth despite being told he's a dud. A hundred percent. It oh makes God. me so uncomfortable. But like, this is a moment where I'm like, yes, he's totally over. Because she thought he was a dud. Like, they weren't yeah. even sure he was magical, you know? Like, oh they my threw God, him out uncle, the window. Like, yes, his uncle right to see if he would, And he bounced. And they're like, well, there's oh, that's something. You know? He just it is, like it is he just really likes is. plants a lot and, but he's brave too and he's willing to even stand up to his friends and that's the hardest thing right yeah. you know especially for a kid who doesn't have that many friends right so totally. so i i love i love her her little cameo there because it's like yes totally yeah. not a dud chip oh, off boy. the old block yes oh, okay so i'm not weeping There's also a pamphlet from the ministry with a lot of detail about protecting your family. We get to read the whole thing. It is, it's giving like CDC COVID regulations, you know? (laughs) Deeply. (laughs) COVID mort. I mean, these are, this is terrifying. I Mm -hmm. have a 10 month old infant. And if I got this kind of pamphlet at my house and they were like, hey, you're going to need to install heavy duty locks and like, don't ever let your child out of your sight. And like, you need to be able to have a plan to pick her up and run immediately. Should someone attack you openly? Like that would be, well, how about, I don't know what I'm 
about do? security questions because people aren't who you think they are. Oh my like, god, that's yes. scary. Yeah, and I think like terrifying. that's very like age of the inter the interwebs and the yeah. social media and all that. Is it a deep fake? But mm. also, yes, I got fooled by a deep fake recently that was <gasps> was it Drake? N- no. <laughs> it was that really sexy picture of Henry Cavill that everyone no, was No, it was either going to be Drake or Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Mary Clay were talking about it. Our friend Mary Clay, uh, who hosts the Skywalk Before You Run podcast, coming soon. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so I, but I had to do, I work for a tech company. I work for a hospitality technology company. And we had to do on hire extensive deepfake uh, recognition training. Wow. So that you aren't fooled by video recordings or even live Zoom calls from the CEO or like other people that should be in a place of authority within the company. And that's just part of our standard safety briefing. That's incredible. I mean, that's wild. Incredible, not in the way that like a sunset is incredible. Yeah. (laughs) How are we here? Yeah, we in the most dystopian aspects of fantasy. Well, and I I do want to address real quick the security question thing. I I mean, every inch of Harry Potter is super ableist. (laughs) But the security question thing, I've been with my husband for eight years. I don't know if he can retain facts about me like that. (laughs) He has ADHD. (laughs) Like, I don't think, I don't know what on earth. I mean, you can I'm like, pick something, re- though. Like, in Face Off, they have a family question. Oh, my God. Wait, I can't even begin talking about pat. Face Off. <laughs> they have the waterfall hands yeah. thing. That's how you know it's him. Um, yeah, I, like, don't, like, because I'm, I'm thinking, like, if with my husband, like, what would our security question be? And it's, like, I, there's this line in Bob's Burgers where, I don't, I'm so sorry for those who don't watch Bob's Burgers, but Bob and Linda are a married couple, and Linda is like, oh, I forgot about this this event that our kid is having. I forgot about it. And Bob's like, I only know what she knows. And I, I'm like, I how, how would I get my husband to retain a security question? Like, I have no idea. I cannot get my husband to remember where certain kitchen utensils go. Like, it just. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you today. I was up here in my little office, and my beloved husband Sean, whom I love so much, came up here and was like, I cannot find the cup for the blender. And I was like, it's in the cup cabinet. And he was like, I looked there. And I'm like, it's definitely there. Do you want me to come downstairs and find it right there? And he's like, I guess so, yes. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I need that. And I wa- mar- marched my little butt downstairs. I opened the cupboard. It was literally directly at eye level. And he just laughed. It's like. <laughs> so I have to say, I would be the problem in this. <laughs> Because I would overthink it. My husband's actually very, he's hes not necessarily a talker, but he like really knows a lot about me. Well, I'm the talker. Right? That's how um, he knows so much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and there would be something. And so he actually, when we were getting married and we were going to, you know, pick out a China pattern or whatever, he's like, oh, I've already picked, I've already picked it out. I said, oh, did you find one that you liked? He said, oh, no, I found the one you're going to like. Oh, my God. And I was like, Really? I mean, they're like, you know, 50? How many of these Bold? are there? And he's like, oh, no, it's the one. And he wouldn't tell me which one it was. And I was like, oh, crap. Now I got I to gotta pick what the a- right one or we're not meant to be together, right? <laughs> did you pick the right one? I did. And he's, oh, I, I said, my God. this one? And he said, of course, that one. There's no other one. That's so funny because, like, how on earth... 
your you and your husband's security question would be pick the correct China China I mean, yeah, right. that's right. true because you said mm-hmm. it on a podcast oh yeah it's no not that's true yeah. and anybody that. looking in my house would see the would see the China so okay yeah but also it'll like, need to be something else it would be something and I would be like is it this and you'd be like of course it is maybe you're not the real person <laughs> you know what I definitely wouldn't do I don't even have children, and you know what I wouldn't do? What I wouldn't do is have my security question with my husband be, what's the sexy name you call me when we're alone together? <laughs> yeah, that you was awkward. seven children, and that's your security question. But it's Molly Wobbles. That's it's the Molly best. It's Molly Wobbles. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. That's in a couple chapters. <laughs> I will say I generally like that this whole list Basically just, like, calls out everything that people would otherwise consider to be, like, a plot hole, which, uh, I don't know how much I subscribe Mm. to. The modern concept of plot holes where just anything that's not explained is now a plot hole. (laughs) Yeah, but then there's, like, the lens of, like, the magic system in Harry Potter is a plot hole, and I think that's, like, valid. Valid critique. (laughs) This does specifically point out, like... Anything that you would be like, well, you know, it would probably be really hard in this situation because of the Imperius Curse or the Polyjuice Potion or whatever. And she does address right. that right up front. She's like, like yeah, hey, these are all hard. the things that make covert warfare especially scary in this particular world. Yeah, This mm-hmm. is also, I think, laying groundwork for things that are going to happen later, like the Inferi, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the first, is it the first Ugh. mention? I it don't is, know, but yeah. it's a very yeah. early mention to sort of say, this is something, you know, that like when you reread it, you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to yeah. be important mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even um, in this book, it's forming a story latch in this book. Yeah. In fact, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say, like, I'm looking at the list and number six is, should the dark mark appear over any dwelling place or other building, do not enter. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a dark mark. I should go check that out. Um, it's, giving C- it's giving CDC COVID regulations. People it's like, so hey, nosy. don't kiss anyone who actively has COVID on the mouth. And it's like, sorry <laughs> that we have to say that, but we literally do. Yeah, this is the government not overestimating anybody's intelligence or common yeah. sense. They're writing for the lowest common denominator of Harry Potter and people like Harry Potter <laughs> who are not thinking. <laughs> So now we get to the letter from Dumbledore. It says he's going to come take Harry to the burrow. And Harry, as a trauma response, is like, I don't believe it. I'm not going to pack. This is too good to be true. Literally nothing good has ever happened to me. And I've always been left here way longer than I thought was necessary. (laughs) Yeah. And it's almost like a dream. Like, what a fantasy for him to not really even have to spend the summer with the Dursleys. So I'm going to tell you, I got a 16-year-old. He's just turned 15, 16. So just... So he's right. age. <laughs> he's exactly Harry's age. Yeah. And although I do agree that there's this psychological component, he didn't want to jinx it by actually packing and then being disappointed. This age boy will do almost anything to avoid doing like packing or putting away laundry doing or anything. any kind of task like that. If there's a reason not to... <laughs> to put it off Mm -hmm. they will do that and so I was like reading this I was like oh this is so my 16 year old (laughs) yeah this is on on point we have (laughs) another one of our hosts has a has a 15 year old stepson and she I I was like what if this well we were talking about I think in the last episode actually we were talking about Draco's task throughout this book his task to murder Dumbledore oh my god and I was like 
I was like, hey, Mary, uh, how would you feel <laughs> if your stepson was <laughs> God. tasked with murdering someone? It's like, you can't even make him unload the dishwasher. Like, he's not going to murder somebody. <laughs> right. Murder's hard. Murder takes a lot of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> not that I know. But yeah, sure. there's a lot. I'm just I'm marveling at that idea <laughs> of like, yeah, I mean, there would be no I mean, but I don't know. Draco, I, I guess we're getting into this, but like Draco has a lot of pressures on him, right? His dad's oh my in God, prison totally. and like the whole family's, you know, ability to exist is depending on him. But there's a reason they didn't ask him before. Right. I mean, because they could have asked him before. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like now maybe those pressures being on him of his dad being in prison, the family you know, being separated, maybe that's the motivation that, you know, Voldemort sees could really spur him on to actually do it. But which totally. of course, but you know, even then doesn't. we end up in exactly the situation you would expect where he procrastinates to the last minute. <laughs> yeah. In college professors, you know what that's like. Yeah. You can tell yeah. the difference I, between a paper that got written the night before. <laughs> you know, yeah. so also the, you know, Draco... The whole premise of that Spinner's End chapter is that Narcissa's like, he's not going to be able to do this. Yeah, she <laughs> Are you knows. crazy? He can't she do knows. this. <laughs> and and then I like that transition, right? Like, it's like Draco's not going to be able to do this. And then you see Harry's smushed face against the window. Like, this is the kind of kid, this is the age we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, I do think it's important to, like, keep doing reality checks on their age because I think, for example, in the movies... I think in this movie is the one where Draco's like wearing a suit the whole year. <laughs> no. All, all, all of the actors are like 20. It Like, mm-hmm. I think that watching the movie and, and reading the book to some extent, you forget quite how young they are because the Tom Felton in the movie was like 23. It's like, sure, maybe that guy could kill someone, but like not, <laughs> not like your son. You know, you have to think about like the real 50, 16 year olds you know could they do this no they couldn't they couldn't do any of this (laughs) right they're younger and younger and more importantly you you would just never ever ask them to one hopes well one hope (laughs) gosh yes (laughs) so right at 11 the street light outside the house goes out and harry awakes suddenly Dumbledore is walking up the path and harry's like shit 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 (laughs) (laughs) just throwing things in his trunk I love how this parallels, like, this is the last time that Harry is, that Dumbledore is with Harry, and he's picking Harry up at the Dursleys with the put-outer, and the first time that he was at the Dursleys, he delivered him with the put-outer. I like the symmetry of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I do also feel that the author was like, ah, that put-outer. Wait a second, I have an idea for the next book. Oh, shit. I need to put it it in this book. Reintroduce it. Remind him. (laughs) So Harry also forgot to warn the Dursleys that Dumbledore was coming. A great idea. I I get it. I get why he wouldn't want to say anything to the Dursleys ever. It's because of trauma. It's because he's abused there. But then we start this very funny exchange where Harry runs downstairs and Dumbledore's at the door. And Vernon is like, what the fuck? And Dumbledore is like, let us assume you've warmly invited me into your home. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. So There's a good. lot of zingers. There's a lot of really polite zingers. He's in rare form here, I have to say. Truly. Like, he's very, like, I feel like he's angry and there's a way I think it's a little projection because he was definitely doing the wrong thing at the end of the last book and had to admit that he mm. should have been 
more oh, he admitted it. Perhaps. He admitted it for like 25 <laughs> He's pages. So <laughs> polite to Harry. So polite. Yeah. To yeah. And you're and, right. And he's really angry about how Harry has been treated by these people who were supposed to take care of him. And he's he masks it with that early politeness. And honestly, if the Dursleys had had the mask of civility and hospitality, I think it would have been, you know. But, of course, we know they can't do that. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> Not with Dumbledore like at 11 o'clock at night. They've been shocked into <laughs> rudeness. Well, and the, the well, parallel to this chapter is the chapters in book two— the worst birthday and Dobby's warning where, because, you know, two and six are like ring friends, you know, in terms of the ring cycle. And they are spending the entirety of the top of that first chapter working out their fake politeness to the Masons. Right. And so they're practicing their fake politeness in order to get this deal through so they can buy a a vacation house in Mallorca. And so they've got their script going on and Dudley's talking about writing an essay about Mr. Mason for school. And like, oh my God, it's just so stupid. Ridiculous. (laughs) And they are absolutely frozen in who they really are in this chapter. And that's, and Dumbledore's so Mm -hmm. super polite. He's just dripping with politeness, but it's sincere. It's very now, sincere. Now, Emily, you have to tell us about the Agapanthus. Oh, my God. Because Dumbledore wait, wait, wait. comes in. Oh, Hold you, on. I'm like Real quick, in. before we get there, I would like to ask, Emily, can you... I think that you said the ring theory, mm-hmm. and I think that you're talking about a theory that was recently presented to me, but I've never heard it called that. Can you describe your the ring theory? Um, absolutely, as best I can. So I did not... Um, this was definitely did not originate with me. So really the originator of this is John Granger, who um, was long the Hogwarts professor website. I think he has a Substack now. Oh, yeah. Um, And I know who that is because Granger. Right, right. No relation. No relation. I I remember that person. So John, not everybody loves John's work, but his work is really actually very foundational in Harry Potter studies. So you just have to give him props for that. But the ring theory says that the whole series and each individual book work in a kind of what we call in biblical studies, we call it a chiastic structure. So so there's parallelisms between the first chapter and the last chapter, the second chapter and the second to last chapter, the third Whoa. chapter and the third to last chapter. And there's all and if you go through the books and look for these parallelisms, they're everywhere. It's and at the shocking. center is a turning point. Right. That's there's unique. this there's this turning point exactly that gets you kind of to the next stage of the story. That's like the pivotal, literally pivotal moment. And it brings you through. And so then not only do the each does each book work like that, but then the entire series works like that. So I remember just instinctively because of what's in the book. I love, I love this book, by the way, this is probably one of my favorite Harry Potter books. Same. And it's because it's just so funny and like the rom-com is out of control. And and then it's also so serious and so dark. Like it's just, you know, and you're like, I am set for this last book. It's it's giving YA everything. I know. I love the teenager-y parts. But the minute I finished it, I immediately went and grabbed book two. And started wow. reading book two because I was like, what are these horcruxes? I need to know how a horcrux behaves. I need to know what this yeah. is. And the only the only information I have about it is Riddle's diary, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. so there's so many parallels. And like the way the role Ginny plays and the role Ginny plays in book six. And like, it's just, there's so many Whoa. parallels. Yeah, it's crazy. Whoa. So if you want to read more about that, um, uh, John Granger has written a whole lot about that. Um, Amazing. And there's, yeah, there's, if you just Google like Harry Potter and ring theory, like yeah. you'll come up with a lot of cool stuff on that too to digest 
Yeah. So for someone who talks as much as I do about Harry Potter, I really don't. I'm not like very uh, aware of the like the scholarship that's been done around it or the fandom work that's been done around it. Like I'm kind of a dodo <laughs> who just has read Harry Potter 30 times. So <laughs> I love hearing about this stuff. So I only learned about that theory maybe a couple weeks ago here on the pod. And, but but I never heard the ring like the term the ring theory. And it, it's just it's so fascinating because you're. I'm especially thinking about books like one and seven, how like book Mm -hmm. one is just like an opening and book seven is just like a closing. You know what I mean? And they really do. Okay. Maybe we'll do like a whole bonus episode about this because I'm like grasping my hair with like brain, (laughs) brain working really hard right now. Well, and, and ancient authors used to use that kind of structure to tell their stories because it's circular in nature and circles are very spiritual and point to like infinite beings like God, right? And so they did it as a kind of a testimony to God and a way of kind of expressing truths about the divine life. And so it it particularly works well with Harry Potter because I think that the author is also using her story to also, you know, of course I'm a religion scholar, so I'm going to think that, right? To a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But I think there's an unconscious poetics to it also in the Mm. sense that you, when you're reading it, even if you're not conscious that you're going back through everything in reverse in the second half, you do intuit it and it makes it feel complete in a way, yeah. uh, you know, and that's why the book series feels complete, exactly like you said, Christina. Wow. I'm going to have to do some reading and some thinking about this one because a lot, of, like most books, like a fiction these days, you like you have like a ha- like most fiction has like a halfway crazy thing that happens. That's just like how plot works. But it usually doesn't like then turn around and go back the way it came. It usually just like goes somewhere else. You know what I mean? So I think I will probably try to work in a bonus episode about that because my my brain is going. But yeah, you could say time- a lot about it too. Yeah, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. tons. But for oh. now, it's time to talk about the Agapanthus. Oh, the Agapanthus. <laughs> the flourishing Agapanthus. Agapanthus. Dumbledore invites himself in and compliments the Dursley's Agapanthus, which I'm going to Google a picture right now. I don't even know what this is. It's it's um sometimes called, what did you say, Nile lily, Katie? Is that Lil- Lily of the Nile. Yeah, Lily of the Nile. Um, it's like a blue lily. It's very pretty. It is very pretty. But when he says, and pardon me, I'm going to turn a page here. Well, and I have to say, like, Emily, when you first brought it up, like, when I read it, I was just like, oh, she picked that because it's funny, right? Agapanthus. Your Agapanthus are flourishing, right? And it's just a funny, <laughs> she likes words that sound funny. But then you hear that it's the lily of the Nile, and you're like, lily? Well, right, exactly. And that's a parallelism with lily. And there's always, you know, Petunia is, and lily are foils for each other and, and yeah. foil characters. And Petunias are thought to be kind of a, a, a bitter lily, like a kind of a... You know, there's there's a bitterness to a petunia as opposed to the pure purity of the lily, which is why both of those are appropriate. But agapanthus, and I I really think I heard this on a podcast at some point because it stuck in my brain. But I was but I couldn't find the source of what I heard a commentator say. But I I was googling agapanthus, and there's apparently a myth about them in terms of gardening that if you neglect them and starve them, they will flourish anyway. And that's a super interesting way to interpret his compliment as a complete 
dig. It's a diss. And and it and it then it's like solidified and confirmed in what oh he God. says to them later. Oh my god, it's like your Harry Potters are flourishing. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like no you. thanks to you. No thanks yeah. to you. Oh, your Agapanthus are flourishing. Yeah, Lily's right. son is flourishing amid your neglect. I mean, he says <laughs> he says later on he he calls them out. We'll get there. We'll get right. there. But he calls them out for exactly what they've done, which yeah. is neglect and literally starve this child constantly and in the parallel chapter they um petunia tells him if he doesn't do all these tasks he won't eat until he's you know and so like it's it's a literal starvation that they do to him and then later on dumbledore in this chapter finally gets a chance to call them out for what they didn't yeah do for and Harry. thank god and and we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna talk it's about satisfying that when it comes up. oh yeah yeah, yeah and- I, that's so wild because like i would never have googled that like dumbledore mentions random things i remember like learning the word and not really learning it because I still don't know how to say it, but the bougainvillea, right? You guys oh, know that flower? Yeah, yeah I, but I don't know how to look. I don't know, I don't how, know how to say it, it either. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I learned that word from this book series at some point in the previous five books. They've mentioned that. And I, it, you, you, but this one has meaning. And I, I, it would never have occurred to me to Google they it. They all it's have like meaning. So steeped in me. Any flower has meaning in these books. If she mentioned well, what is the bougainvillea about? <laughs> I don't know. What well, B. Gross would know. It. Um, you guys are aware of Beatrice Groves. She's an Oxford lecturer who writes about Harry Potter, and she she writes on. She did on, the Austin episode. Yeah, yeah, that oh, was her. Oh yeah, okay. Awesome. She'll she'll know if if that has a meaning. She'll have her thumb on it because she is amazing like that. That's so really cool. We'll have to we'll have to ask B. Yeah, I'm like I googled like Bougainvillea Harry Potter. Googling stuff live on the show doesn't often <laughs> work out in my favor. <laughs> so, Dumbledore, Harry Potter. Petunia, Vernon, and Dudley all sit down for like a cute little chat. <laughs> well, no, because Dumbledore has to make them sit down, right? Yeah. He says, I'll, "I'll assume you've invited me in, right?" And then like, <laughs> I'll they assume won't we're sit. going to the sitting parlor. Like right. I'm uh, gonna assume you're gonna join me. It right. reminds me of the beginning of Order of the Phoenix during the hearing when he just swoops in and he's like. Making all these accusations and Umbridge is like, surely you're not accusing us, the ministry of like having condoned this like dementor behavior. And he's like, of course not. I'm sure you're already doing an investigation about this. Like he really has a way of walking into a conversation and being immediately in total control. He is the Mm -hmm. boss. I Mm -hmm. read this chapter and I was like, this is Dumbledore full on boss. Yeah. He's pretending to be polite and courteous and all that. And he is just doing everything. And that's why I think, like, with the Agapanthus, like, he came in hot. Mm-hmm. He was not really <laughs> expecting this to go well. And he just owns every minute of it. And Vernon even says, uh, the narrative um, even says, Vernon looked as if he saw this guy and thought, this is not somebody I'm going to be able to bully. You know? Yes. And it's like, mm-hmm. God, I love that. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like bully. there's some people that give off a vibe that that makes bullies take a step back, and it's like, can we bottle that? I know. <laughs> yeah. Pass that That'd around. Be nice. But I also think that's just so earned. I love his characterization in this chapter. It's the it's the actual moment where you just realize why he's such a good headmaster of Hogwarts. Because imagine you're like a kid just like causing trouble. And you get sent to this dude's office, he's going to be like, I'm sure you didn't intend to set off dung bombs in the hall. Right? You know what I mean? Like those kinds of like, you could see how this, this, uh, this like way of speaking is built on having been a teacher and 
subsequently a headmaster for so many decades. Yeah, right? and stays then we in see, control. Mm-hmm. We see in this book also, like, you know, with young Tom Riddle, like, he he's also having to do this with him as a bully yeah. also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I am kind of still laughing about the Agapanthus comment because I'm now I'm just thinking about how no, that wasn't for anyone but him. He's just sitting there giggling by himself about that. Yeah. He's like, that was a pretty good That's one, right. Albus. <laughs> yeah. He's amusing himself this whole so. time. This yeah. whole time. So I love the line where Vernon says, I don't mean to be rude. And Dumbledore <laughs> chimes in. And yet, accidental rudeness happens far too often or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? yeah, I'm going to keep that it. one in my pocket for when I need it. Same. Well, I mean, and like, such it a, can be applied to rudeness, but it can also be applied to racism. Like the minute somebody starts saying... I don't mean, mm. I'm not racist, but it's like, oh my God, whoa, it's, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, <laughs> that is such a cool intention to set out with, but unfortunately, racism does accidentally happen all the time. <laughs> so what were you going to say? What were you going to say? So you want to put on. the filter on? <laughs> well, letting he's... you finish that. We're just going to move on. <laughs> and he like full on is just like, yeah, so you just should shut up. Um, instead of saying whatever it was you were about to say. <laughs> like, Dumbledore's like, I'm not here to actually listen. I'm here to handle something. Yeah. So Dumbledore, like, he's going, like, full Fantasia. Like, he gets the couch to sweep up the Dursleys. They all sit down. Um, we notice Dumb's blackened hand at this point. Yeah. Well, That'll probably mm-hmm. not come up again. Real quick before we get there, I do I just want to note that he introduces himself to Aunt Petunia and to Dudley, which I yes. think is a, an important point because we realize that they've never met before. They've only corresponded, which would corresponded. be a grand total of perhaps two letters. It's mm. a, it's exactly two letters. Well, so, Actually, but I love it because, yeah, because I think Emily and I, we've got twin minds because remember we find out later that Petunia wanted to go to Hogwarts and she wrote a letter to Dumbledore oh, and he wrote her a probably gentle but firm no. It was kind because Lily and Snape yeah. saw it and they said it was kind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, you're totally He's right. like, we've Holy corresponded shit. and that was him and that's him like owning Petunia. <laughs> Right, oh, yeah, like, my, we, we have corresponded, right? He does. He <laughs> right. keeps it totally vague, like I, not I've written to you before, but we have corresponded, of course, right? Throughout wow. your entire life, girl, you know, like yeah. right, like Vernon I know doesn't you. know that, right? Vernon and Harry know. even the you know the the Harry influenced narrator even says, you know, that's a kind of a funny way to re- to refer to the fact that he sent her an exploding letter. <laughs> well, that's because he's not referring to only that; he's, he's referring, to their, referring to their which is like probably only three letters throughout the course of their existence. But like, it's still three. But you know, it's she Dumbledore being it. like it's Dumbledore being like, girl, sit down like i've known you since you were a wee little lass begging to come to my school like sit the fuck down right yeah and so and then he gets the couch to come do that and also realistically (laughs) reminding her that his presence in her house would not have been unwelcome for a huge chunk of her life yeah yeah wow that's cool so uh we noticed dumbledore's black in hand we'll get we'll get to that later maybe um he pours everyone some mead Everyone present, that's a good 
idea. Me that's too. very low alcohol. I was gonna I say know, that's man. like a. I don't know, man. I've gotten pretty shit faced off some mead. Like <laughs> the hippies, they're sixteen. The, they're sixteen. The, like in Europe, that's normal. It's the UK. They're, they're loosey goosey <laughs> with that stuff. It just feels like he's coming in being the cool grandpa. Like, hey, you can do it as long as it's in the living room and I'm yes. here. <laughs> like, I just there's no reason why this wasn't tea. You know, like. Right. Why Although it's Dumbledore, he? so I well, feel like it's on brand for him. He's like, it, come on, let's drink. Well, you know, mead is mead is a honey beverage, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes. Dumbledore's bumblebee. Oh, that's yeah. a, that's a great point. That's a it's great true. point. Yeah. I was gonna say also it it mm, kind of reinforces that Harry is coming close to adulthood. It's giving him an adult beverage in a situation yeah. where he's about to inherit a house and the l- responsibility of another life. Okay. Yeah. I I hear all of this, but as this escalates, just imagine you walk into the home of someone and you are not welcome there. And you pour mead for your two hosts and their ki- their ward who you are kidnapping and their son. And nobody's drinking it and you start demanding that they drink it like yeah we're not doing that <laughs> this is very rude i mean and it does like it veers into like s- some bullying territory also but it's so deserved that i do feel it's <laughs> you know more humorous than worrying but he like does not let up like these little blasts are just hitting the they dursleys they're bonking. like come on take a drink take a drink which, like, I, I do think it's funny, but I wish he had left Dudley out of it. Dudley's a kid, and he's not going to, like, take a beverage from you right now, dude. Like, don't do this to him. <laughs> I know, but Dudley has been part of the bullying that has occurred to Harry. He's like, a child. He's- and as, as Dumbledore says later in the chapter, he's like, you fucked up this kid way worse than you fucked up Harry mm. by abusing him on purpose. And leave Dudley alone. Hey, he, come on. He Dudley's does not had have a lot, lot to work with. He got, Dudley got the pigtail. He got the ton yes. coffee. He's traumatized. And it hasn't made him any better of a person. <laughs> no. Although he's bro- gonna he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna I, okay. turn, you know, I in the next know. book. He literally is on his arc right now. Yeah. He's he's on that arc bullshit. And I was noticing in this chapter, like, he's not especially badly behaved. We actually hmm, don't do see anything. bad behavior from him. And when Harry's coming down at the beginning, he makes this comment like about st- staying a little bit far from Vernon because mm-hmm. He had learned from experience that he needed to be more than arm's length away because from his he uncle. is being physically abused by which Vernon. Is, right, yeah. which is trauma. Fuzzy yeah. little reminder. Him. Yeah, and so it's really Vernon and Petunia also who are getting the brunt of it. And this is like Dudley. I love how when maybe we're <laughs> maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but the you know when he says the bit about you've ruined this one, and Dud- Dudley is like. He's like spends the rest of the time trying to figure yeah, out what, what, did, how I'm did ruined? they abuse me? <laughs> what, what could they have possibly done wrong to me? Yeah, like, it's the permissive, indulgent parenting style. It's it just yeah. it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. Wow, no. you know what? I you cannot just have a kitten by itself. You need another cat <laughs> so that when the kitten gets bit, he's like, oh, by getting bit hurts. You know, it's like you I need gotta to mind myself. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta tell them no somehow. Yeah, that's I need to bite my cat. 
Because I do. I, I just took the one cat. I was like, I don't want to. Sorry. Oh, Emily, you have to tell them your cat's name also. My what cat is, is named Weasley. It's a, it's amazing. <laughs> she's not here right she's now. She's a ginger. She's, she's a ginger. And when she was born, there were like three gingers and... Two were like twins, and one Not was like kind of whiter. There should have been seven. Should have been seven. Oh yeah, there should have. There should have. But there was only <laughs> there was only like four. Um, but we didn't know what their sex was, and we didn't know like we were just like we want one of those, and so oh, we yeah. just started calling them Fred and George Weasley, and um, because they were cute little twinsies, and then yeah. we took one home, and so it was a girl, Aww. so we just kept the Weasley part and left the left the rest I but she's a that. total terror she's the only Weasley ever to be sorted into Slytherin like, <laughs> I'm the other George. cat like she bites me all the time like I have scars because I didn't take a second cat and so I'm the other cat so she's just <laughs> so I guess I should bite her you gotta um, bite back yeah I keep her you know more than arm's length away because she's a swiper she's a so swiper like, sometimes like a bully just understands the language of bullying I think that's what Dumbledore mm-hmm. is doing there, really, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. it's not his best moment, but he's mad. He's, fu- he's mm-hmm. fucking mad. Yeah, and the I, Agapanthus. Yeah. Like if, the Agapanthus. If, I'm, if I'm gonna, like, behave poorly in this way, it's gonna be, like, defending someone that I really care about. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And also yeah. kind of making up for the stuff he did really wrong Totally himself. abandoning him mm-hmm. in the last book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do have a question for everyone then given the context that we've just kind of gone over and like the justifications for his behavior why do we think that he decides to take care of the creature business here and now well can we let can we let's get there first to the creature business if you don't mind because the reason we're here is because Sirius's will has been discovered and he left Harry everything he owned that includes Grimald Place Harry tries to donate it to the order, but there's a chance that it has been inherited magically. There's like a lot of big magic, big inheritance magic happening right now. So like it, there's a chance that Bellatrix inherited it, but like there's also a chance that Harry inherited it. So the way that we test that is to brief interlude. The meat is really beating up the Dursleys now. Okay. <laughs> the way that we test who owns the house is that they summon creature. Because cre- creature goes with the house, right? Yes. Yeah. And the question is, you know, is the house really here? I guess you can't just write, I leave this property to my godson. There has to be some kind of magical. And house yeah. elves are very much magically bound in the same way that apparently this house is. Yeah. Well, and you get a lot of old magic, old families, you know, mm-hmm. like it. It's the, you wouldn't have this issue, I don't think, with like Seamus's family, which is, you know, he's or Hermione's family, even though they're magically inherited, you wouldn't have a situation where it's like, oh, well, like, because a wizard lived here, like, that's not the type of magic (laughs) we're dealing with. But I think it's important to note, like, it's the type of ancestral magic that is, runs very deep and is related, again, to the whole concept of what it means to be pureblood. There is a sense of... Mm -hmm well, there's deeper magics at play because, you know, we're an old family because the magic runs all the way down. But then also... Fake. (laughs) But the whole reason we're messing with it, right, is because trying to keep that kind of purity, you die out. Yeah. And, you know, okay, so, Emily, do you remember this from... So we have... We'll talk about this later, but we have a book coming out. And one of the chapters in the book is by our technical editor, Emma Nicholson, and she does a deep read on Sirius. <laughs> and, like, the black family is very interbred, in, inbred. 
because they're, you know, trying to be pure blood. And this is how it, you know, this is how it is. They're all related to each other, that that black family tree. Like, those people are cousins. But that's how you end up with a King Charles that can't fit his tongue in his mouth, like, at the end of the line, you (laughs) know? The Habsburgs, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, um... On our Discord today, Claire said, um, I would love an episode about the absolute mess that is the sacred 28 family tree. <laughs> mm. And I think that would be a really fun deep dive. And call by fun, I mean Emma horrifying. Nicholson. Yeah, okay. literally. Call Emma Nicholson. She'd be a great guest for that. She knows yeah, all awesome. that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. So what was your question, Brooke? I'm so sorry. So, okay. So given all the context, the fact that basically Dumbledore showed up to, like, make them feel real bad, be a little bit rude, and get the Harry the fuck out of here, why do we think he decides to call Creature here and test it here? It's obviously going to be unwelcome. Is that part of it? Does he like doubling down on dropping a house elf in the middle of their living room? Do we think it's because of the protective spell? Like, I couldn't wrap my head around as I was reading it the why here, why now aspect of it. Yeah, I love this. And I love how, like, Creature pops up in Petunia's pristine living room. And he's like this dirty rag. And she's appalled, you know? Yeah. Um, He's the filthiest thing to be in her house in living memory. Well, and and she was interrupted for this, like, midnight meeting during her apparently nightly kitchen scrub down. Yeah, we don't make fun of the nightly kitchen scrub down. Some very normal (laughs) podcasters do that, too. We call it my friend. um, Our friend Ashley in the discord introduced me to the phrase kitchen zero, which is how I like my nights to end with a cool kitchen zero. I'm into that as well. I'm into that as well. You can come do that at my house if you need a fix. Yeah, <laughs> y'all are not invited that. to my kitchen. Y'all can't come. Y'all can't come to my house. Other people's kitchens don't affect me, but when I go downstairs in the morning and my kitchen is messy, I'm like, "Who closed last night? <laughs> Who did this?" <laughs> yeah, you know what, Christina? I say that thing about other people's kitchens and other people's houses don't affect me, but it's not true. It's totally not true. <laughs> it, it, they do. They do. I just, I just, I won't let myself react to them, but. You know, um, you're not allowed to see anything that's not behind me immediately right now. Christina knows what my house I, looks it's like. It's a white wall. I like if it. That was, if that was true of me, Brooke and I just could not be friends. Yeah, Brooke, you and I, we're on the same page. Like, I got, there are five people and three cats in my house. Like, I've, I've given up. I don't have any. And I wasn't that interested to begin with. I am literally looking around right now at no less than one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven stacks of paintings that have yet to be hung up on a wall a year after a move. <laughs> yeah, you Classic. have a baby, though. That is a total excuse for everything. So I did not yeah. have a baby for the most of that time period. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- to get back to your question, Brooke, because yes. it's a great question. Yes. I have a narrative structure answer to it, but that's all it mm. is, right? Okay, so... We're, we're editors. We love that. The narrative structure answer is that In the parallel chapters in book two, which, as I've said, are chapters one and two, The Worst Birthday and Dobby's Warning, first of all, this whole thing is paralleled in the sense that Dumbledore waltzes in and just starts doing magic left and right, right? He flicks his wand at least five times, you know? Yeah. And things result, right? But in book two, Harry's not even allowed to say the word magic. He threatens Dudley by saying, oh, you didn't say the, the magic word, and Dudley freaks out, oh, and they yeah. all yell at him and, and punish him with tasks for even mentioning magic, which he didn't even do. He was just talking about the word please. 
So he so magic is completely banished from their home in that chapter, and in this chapter, it's being done openly by basically the magic king, right? Mm-hmm. So so then the reason I think that creature is called here and now is because in those chapters in book two, you have Dobby. You have this Dobby really appears. super random mm-hmm. visit from Dobby. Mm-hmm. And he comes, he, he appears in the shrubbery, right? So more plant, <laughs> plant lore. Yeah. And, um, and he comes in and his, his ownership is to the Malfoys, but his loyalty is to Harry. And of course, it's the opposite with Creature, where Creature's ownership is to Harry, mm-hmm. but his loyalty is to the Blacks and to the Purebloods. And so you oh, have yeah. this flip, you have this reversal. And Dobby is acting to try to protect Harry Creature doesn't care. He and but Harry has to act in order to protect the order of the Phoenix to continue to have Creature in his service. So there's a lot of house elf flippy floppy going on that yeah. does yeah. The, you know serves the narrative structure across the series. Yeah, and if I could chime in with like Dumbledore, like what would Dumbledore's motivation be? Like what could possibly he be thinking to do this besides like. I got to go to Horace Slughorn's next, and I just got to get w- wipe this thing out right first. Yeah. But, like, what would be his thinking? Okay, so Harry's godfather, Sirius Black, has died. And Sirius and the threat of his mass murderer godfather was what was keeping the Dursleys in check somewhat with Harry in the past. And so, like, obviously the Dursleys are surprised. Like, he's dead, right? But Dumbledore mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily know that, but... Just in case that's going to be a problem, then he's got this other thing. He talks about how much wealth Harry has. Harry has his own house, right? And, you know, then he's later going to try to make sure that Harry can come back to the Dursleys one more time because of the magic. But he wants them to know Harry has a house, Harry has money, and Harry has this. Harry actually himself has control over this other being, uh, and, you know, Dumbledore is pretty sure it's going to go the way that it goes, that it does belong to him. Because Sirius, you know, he's not he's not new to, wi- mm. to wizard and old magic. But um, I think that he's doing it partly, again, as a way to show the Dursleys that Harry is not without resources. Right. And that, that strikes me as maybe a motivation, you know, that that helps you understand, like, the narrative that I do think is very, what Emily said, I think is exactly right as well. Yeah. Wow. Brooke, did you have any thoughts about that? No, big old empty brain, but that's why I asked. (laughs) That's why we asked. I also feel like Creature just, like, shit shit talks a lot, and, like, I don't know, let him shit talk to the Dursleys instead of the Weasleys. Yeah, my my only thing was I thought there's an element of shock value to it, which obviously he gets. Like, he's Uh trying to get a rise out of them, right? He's sitting there, sat there. He's clinking them in the head persistently with glasses. (laughs) And, you know, Yeah, and Creature thinks they're horrible, right? Right. Creature thinks muggles are dirt beneath his feet. And so it's kind of funny to see that, you know, the two prejudices intersecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're both house elves are super loud. Also, in in both of the chapters, they're un, you know mm. um, intolerably loud, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, which is such an interesting thing to insert into the house elf lore because they're you know unseen, unheard for the first few books, and then as soon as you, or for the first book, and then in the second book you meet the house elf for the first time, and they are loud and I would say self aggressive. 
they're not necessarily actually aggressive, but they're certainly self-aggressive. It's such a huge <clears throat> presence. And every subsequent house elf we meet is a huge presence. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did we, were, were we just too young to notice this? Is it because we didn't grow up in a house with a house elf? Like, as a perspective, it just seems insane that they are, the personality, the level of personalities that all the house elves have, yeah. that they go unnoticed at all, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, you're right about that. They're very powerful, too. And that's one of the things that I think is, and I pointed that out in the essay that I wrote, too, like, they have power. They have a lot of power. Look at all the mischief that Dobby creates trying to prevent Harry from going to Hogwarts. And then all the yeah. stuff Creature does. Creature's able to find the loophole. And Winky is such a an enabler uh, for Barty Crouch Jr. And they have a lot of power. And so, you know, the fact that they that they are in bondage is so... I think it's one of those things It's such a conundrum that it makes you go back and think about it. And that's, that's one of the things I like about it. Like, that's like Quidditch too, right? It's like... How do how does my brain make this up make make this work and you know and I, one of the things that I find kind of tricky right I I think you know Dumbledore is being a bully and he's bullying bullies and but I don't like the bullying but it's bullying bullies right and how, do I find right. that funny do I not and then there's creature who has proved himself to be a betrayer and he's responsible for Sirius's death and Harry's right to be really angry at him but creature's like not a free being and is totally miserable and like when he tells creature shut up like yeah it's so satisfying it's so satisfying but it's also kind of horrible because then yeah. creatures like choking on the floor and yeah, i he feel has, like, like the matrix moment do you remember in the matrix when his like mouth disappears <laughs> yeah yeah right and so i i feel like when i'm reading it both of those i'm of twin minds about it in the sense that I kind of like it. I kind of am like, this is really wrong. You're like yeah. Hermione, right? You Don't you see how sick it is that they have to obey? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, it, and, uh, going back to the, the mirror thing, I do think that also mirrors this chapter in Chamber of Secrets because it's like, you want to fuck up the dinner party, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you like don't want Harry to get in trouble. So it's like, this is awesome, but this is also the worst thing that could be happening right now right (laughs) right oh there's also just such an a weird like and maybe this is just my like my personal context but there's such a weird like military undertone that i pick up in this in terms of like the idea of an informant or someone that was previously in a circle knowing too much to be able to earn freedom they have forfeited freedom by virtue of their association with this group that they were not asked to be in, that was not voluntary at any point, and now because of an involuntary involvement, they're even further removed from the idea of freedom or the possibility of freedom. Yeah, it, Sirius should have dismissed him immediately upon yes. getting back to Grimald Place. But, like, would Creature have allowed himself to be dismissed? You know, and Creature knows too much already. Maybe. It's a really, it's very difficult kind of situation. Totally. His knowledge of the fact of Sirius's existence for a minute there was very juicy secret. Yeah. And what does Dobby say? It's like, it's it's hard out there for a free house elf. <laughs> right? Something like that. They can always um, go to Hogwarts, which is luckily what Creature ends up doing anyway. And I yeah. don't say luckily because he is switching from the being 
enslaved by one person to being enslaved by like a different person. But luckily, because we know that it is at least like a good environment for this kind of situation and they do have the option to receive payment. You know, so I was thinking about the title of the chapter, Will and Won't. And it obviously refers to the will and testament of Sirius Black. But I was thinking about will in the sense of having power over yourself. Yeah. Will and won't. And like creatures like won't, won't, won't. But it's Dumbledore's and Harry's will that prevails. And there's something really bad about that. Yeah, (laughs) it's horrible. It's horrible. Well, especially because in the moment that you're, you know, these are two of our primary heroes in this narrative. You trust Harry. You maybe trust Dumbledore a little bit less because of last book. The whole last book. <laughs> right. But you truly believe in their goodness. And this whole chapter is them behaving not so good. And and so and, and that's with the Dursleys and that's also with Creature, right? And yeah. Creature is a tougher nut to crack there. It's a, it's a more muddled situation. But it is, uh, the books get darker as they progress, noticeably so. And we're at a point in the narrative where our heroes are thoroughly tarnished. And it's something that I think is such a bold choice when you remember that this is a children's series. The fact that we're not even in the final book. This isn't the moment where our heroes have like fallen and now they're going to make a choice to redeem themselves this is just a logical progression of character development that has made our heroes more and more human and more and more naturalistically flawed as we've progressed throughout this series. Yeah, yeah and the embodiment of that is is Dumbledore's hand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It shows it shows that you know that imperfection. Okay. Oh my god! Like quite literally tarnished. Mm-hmm. So the fact that when Harry tells Creature to shut up, he does is means that Harry has effectively inherited Grimald Place. Harry's and like, creature. And, and creature. And, and he's like, I don't want him. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> ew, do I have to keep him? And Dumbledore is like, hard no, send him to Hogwarts. It's like, fine, I guess. But also so sad for, I guess, creature, that like the first order he gets from Harry, who does have some sense of compassion for house elves as a species is shut more than up. it seems like the rest of the magicians yeah i mean i know he doesn't he doesn't intend it to be a command but for that to be the moment that he's taking possession of a living okay. being well and look at it this way his first two commands are shut up and fuck off yeah <laughs> right and you're you're basically you're not allowed to live in your house anymore, mm-hmm. which is I bananas. Mean, like creatures, right? What just about his too nest? Too old for that. What about oh, his, his nest? Such an awesome nest. His gross nest and his weird attic of secrets. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I mean, it's if, very hard. Like, especially if you think about with the slavery. That's <laughs> oh, bad. If anything, yeah. like send it back to Grandma Place and be like, I don't know, clean. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what the answer. The answer is, and I feel this way strongly, is to not have house elves in your story. <laughs> That's like the way that I'll be satisfied because what I don't. Would we talk about? I don't think that this, whatever this is, like a metaphor for. Like I don't feel like it's handled elegantly. I feel like it's. I think the author really has a habit of being like, "Look at this fucked up thing. Isn't that fucked up? I found it, and it's like, hey, girl." You invented the species just to subjugate them. Like, I don't know why we had to do this. 
But I can't, I, I have to, like, the thing with Dobby and his arc at the end in book seven, like, that to me, that's the whole book is Dobby mm-hmm. becoming independent, liberated, thinking for himself, you know, in the sense that he does it not because he's been ordered to save Harry and his friends, but because he wants to. And to me, God, that's just such a powerful expression of self-actualization and coming into your own power as an independent being. Dobby's a free elf. (laughs) And not only that, Katie, but then Ron coming Mm -hmm. to the realization, partly because of what Dobby does and the witness that Dobby gives them um, of freedom and of self-sacrifice. Ron, somebody like Ron, he's like totally takes all this stuff for granted. Like, never even heard anybody say anything against the whole practice of house elf enslavement, coming to the realization that they cannot ask the house elves to fight for them because they will, and they'll all throw themselves at the enemy and they'll all die, you know, and how sick that is, that they have to, you know, and becoming, you know, crossing that line of consciousness and of self-awareness and of empathy, because it's about empathy. It really is about empathy. All these stories, you know, building off of what Katie did with house elves as housewives, I um, published an article about um, house elves, the reading of house elves as robots, you know, like created servants, like, um, like Christina, what you just said about you, you created these to sub- subjugate them. Well, that's true. And, and robots in stories, in science fiction stories, are these created servants. And it's us humans playing with this idea of like, well, what if we made them to serve? Would that be okay? You know, yeah. and it's still not. It's, it's still not. not. And so I, I really think as much as they're problematic and people, you know, recoil from them in, in, in a lot of discussion of, of Harry Potter, I just think the books would be so much less rich without their, their witness, as long as you're willing to take it as a witness and not just take it as, like, the way Ron does for six and a half books. Yeah, right? and it's not sure. all fixed at the end. Like, I like that it's not all fixed at the end. And I, I just, I like things that are problematic and that you could talk about and be angry about. We, I would not <laughs> I like have this that. podcast if this wasn't a problematic right. series. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I'm a historian, right? So, oh, there's nothing, oh, nothing there ever. problematic stuff in history? Well, I didn't know. You know, well, not the way some people want you to learn history. But, oh, yeah, yeah, no. No, but that's no the indoctrination. Boring. No indoctrination. Right. That's right. the boring stuff. That's why nobody likes history in elementary school because you don't get the real stuff and it's it's awful and it's interesting and it's not the way you think it should go and that's what I think is worth talking about. Yeah. I'll never forget my favorite history teacher of all time was this really nice, warm mom type in college who just sat on her stool and like told us a story every week. You know what I mean? Instead of it's like, let me, it's like, let me tell you like something, let me get you to care with like this nar- narrative arc of like what, right. what happened. Well, history has a narrative arc. Teachers don't always teach it that way though. The, well, the worst pedagogical choice that or, that we've made as a society is making history primarily about dates for the first like six years you Yes. I'm not a numbers person. I, numbers <laughs> do not stay in my head. Tell me a story though. I'll remember that. Right. I like timelines. I like to see how it all fits together. Like, I don't yeah. care about the date. I just want to know what happened first and then yeah. what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating way to look at anything. Uh, we keep bringing up Emma Nich- Nicholson, our technical editor, but she's so awesome because she has this approach to looking at the text that, like, she wants to set up these timelines. And she wants to look at the events of the story in terms of their context yeah. uh, amongst 
the, it, themselves, you know. Because and there's so much happening in this story. There's so much. And then comparing someone's timeline to another character's timeline and then looking at what's going on when these events take place and what this person is going through. It's it's a really and fascinating you, approach you to read history. About, you read about the history of the Wizarding World totally out of order, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So what happens yeah. if then you put it back in the order? What do you understand that you don't when you're just getting flashbacks and snippets and, you know, yeah. you're sort of getting this story about... You know, Dumbledore and Grindelwald and like, where does that like, what if you told that in the right order? Well, and additionally, in this book, we get the first tie in of uh, contextual timeline for the muggle world that this is happening kind of enveloped inside of with the introduction that we're given with the prime minister. We're reconnected to the fact that this is the yolk of the egg. You know what I mean? There's a whole universe happening around it that isn't necessarily even aware fully of the events that are occurring. Yeah, totally. So, Creature's gone. He's gone to work at Hogwarts. We also talk about Buckbeak quickly. Hagrid's got him. Let's leave him with Hagrid. He goes by Witherwings now. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> Although, I love how Dumbledore's like, I don't think the ministry officials will recognize him. <laughs> well, also, I absolutely that. just got to say, um, Hagrid didn't pick that name, huh? That's a Dumbledore name? Witherwings? I don't think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why don't we call him... Wither wings. So <laughs> Hagrid brilliant. would have named him Greg. A hundred percent would have been Greg. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> so Harry goes to finish packing and leaves Dumbledore and the Dursleys alone together. Yes. Very important point I just want to throw out is one of the things he's seen to be packing is a jar of color changing ink. Oh, sorry, cauldron of color changing quill ink. And I love everything about that from my, you know, 15 going on 16 year old self getting like the like multicolor changing pens as like gel pens, you know, and stuff like that. Hell yeah. It was just a nice like moment where I was like, oh, yeah, this takes place in the 90s. Uh." (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Color changing ink. That's when I had like that nail polish where if I went out in the sun, it would like turn a different color. Yes. (laughs) They kept that for me, I think. Oh, my God. (laughs) Must have. It's a miracle. I yeah. I loved that stuff when I was See, a I thought immediately of like highlighters. I was like this is wizarding highlighting. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because hmm. yeah. Mark and or marking up. Not that yeah. Harry does that. That's why. <laughs> yeah, Harry show. editing his essays. <laughs> no, um, no. I'm like, yeah, whose ink is this? Is this Hermione's ink? Because why why do you need this? Unless it's like responsive ink. What if it's like spell check ink? It changes colors if you did it wrong. It just turns red. It's like you got to scratch that out, my man. <laughs> Well, I think I think they do have quills that do that. Mm-hmm. He's got the double layers of protection. It's like using Grammarly and then using like Microsoft Word spell check. Yeah, like, all of it. I'm not Bring gonna it. get this wrong. When Harry comes back down into the living room, Dumbledore is just like humming contentedly. <laughs> yeah, right. Very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using himself. Basically, Dumbledore turns to the Dursleys and is like. Fuck you guys. Yep. Like, you're extremely abusive. Um, not that Dumbledore ever did a damn thing about it, but I guess he's doing it now. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing it now because yeah. Harry yeah. is not Agapanthus. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, though, like, this is the moment where Harry, as we talked about earlier, has enough autonomy that he, he just needs to re-up the spell and get out of there. Like... I know the Weasleys have been kind of ostensibly able, right, to take or willing to take him in up to this point. But 
it's a financial burden on them, right? And like as much as they try to play it off, it is a huge thing to take a kid for a whole summer. That's a lot of effort. It makes Ron harder to deal with as well. So uh, what I'm saying is not give Harry to the Weasleys. What I'm saying is you waited 15 years to come be like, hey, I know you're not treating him right. But do you really think it would have helped? Like at best, you the wizarding not try at it's best the wizarding world has instilled fear in them of getting caught, but it hasn't really changed anything to this point. They've had multiple incidences that should have done that. I wonder. Like it seems like Dumbledore, like at the end of book five, is when he really acknowledges that Harry didn't come out of the Dursleys totally whole and well. And maybe he just didn't acknowledge it to himself because he needed Harry to be there for the magical protection that the house right. has for him. It was just one more thing for him to worry about. And But wasn't there some, okay, I don't know exactly when this happened, but at one point he got sent mail from Hogwarts that was labeled covered under the stairs. Yeah, that's the first book. And well, then after that, they move him into the spare bedroom, into Dudley's second bedroom. Yeah. yeah. And so they felt the critique of that. Yeah. So there, are there was better. that. Yeah, there are things. But yeah, and I think also now I'm thinking about like those articles that we talked about in the beginning of the chapter. There's actually like a security problem with leaving Harry with the Dursleys, totally. given all this Death Eater action that's going on and muggles are not immune to this. And so I think that Dumbledore is sort of weighing the magical protection of the Dursleys house with knowing what's what's up and knowing the, you know, the Death Eater threat and, you know, having your eight ways to, to combat the problem from the right. government. And that, that he's sort of thinking now maybe, you know, is a good time to move Harry more into the wizarding world. Okay. That tracks for me that, that he, first of all, didn't even start to think about it until the last book. Um, yeah, I'm not letting Dumbledore off the hook with that because obviously Dumbledore, and he admits it like in book five that he did yeah. the wrong. He's done kind of the wrong thing. But he's always, you know, he's like the mastermind and he's got I to know. get his pawns to be in formation. And sometimes he has to like leave them out there for a while. And unfortunately, I think Harry got caught in that. And that's one of the less admirable parts of Dumbledore. Sure. Using Harry as a pawn is definitely one of his lesser yeah. qualities. What is it? Snape says, like, a pig for slaughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Straight yeah. up. Yeah. Snape dealing some hard truth there. We also get, I'm going to comment on ring theory because I just learned about it, but I picked something up. So I'm going to pat myself <laughs> on the back. Do it. We have an open discussion of the fact that it's Harry's birthday and the relation of Harry's birthday to Dudley's birthday, which in that second book, we've got yeah. that worst birthday. Worth st- birthday ever chapter um and we get the admission from petunia that she knows actually exactly when harry's birthday is <laughs> and that they've just been openly ignoring it until it becomes relevant but it's it's so weird as well again that she's like well no he's not he's not an adult yet and he's like we do this differently in our world and also like like what does it matter to you do you want him back for another summer like yeah and I think it's one of those moments where we get just a little bit of a flaking uh, from Petunia mm. of that relationship to her sister. Because they had kids at the same time. Being pregnant is hard. Having a newborn is hard. The idea of having a sister to go through that with you that you can't talk to, you can't access, you can't commiserate with is 
I mean, that's a formative event, you know, and that's probably was traumatic for both of them, actually. I'm sure she was sitting there awake with Dudley in the middle of the night, wishing she could call her sister. Uh, but they, but she couldn't because Lily is not allowed to have a telephone. Well, and also, babe, she died, you know. Yeah. We don't know exactly right. how little Harry was when all of this happened. Well, and then the regret that she didn't call, you know, that she didn't you know, make contact with her because of these views that she fostered in herself that what the magic is unnatural and freakish and only because of her own feelings of rejection from the wizarding world. And then she marries a man who reinforces those and backs and backs up that idea. Oh my God, he's like a magic black hole. It's like any (laughs) magic in the room, he just like sucks it away. Right, magic and imagination. He's an imagination yeah, black he's hole, right? Like mm-hmm. a, he's just like a horrible lump yeah. of a man. <laughs> Basically, Dumbledore is like, Harry's going to come back here one more time before he comes of age, and I'm f- watching you. Like, don't, don't, just don't. After that, he's going to be a full-fledged magician. Like, don't, <laughs> uh, just don't. Uh, will and won't and don't. <laughs> yeah, and I do like that he just finally... Calls off on them. You never treated Harry, you know, as a son. And, yeah. you know, I, I like they just needed to be told off. And it's yeah. very satisfying to have it that really happen is. at the end of all of this, like the the cups hitting them in the head and, the yeah. you know, the chair swooping under them. And it's like, yeah, you did not do the right. And he's just real direct about it. And all right, time to go. And scene. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, I mean, obviously this is lost on Vernon. We don't know what effect it has on Dudley, maybe some. But, you know, on uh, uh, page, what is that, 56, it says Aunt Petunia, however, was oddly flushed. Flushed. Mm -hmm. You know, so she's having some effect on her, right? She hears him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she does. And she (laughs) feels the regret of, of rejecting her sister and the whole wizarding community. And, 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 over time, and in the cruelest way, her sister's only child, right? Yeah. I'm just giggling because of Harry as the narrator. It's like, huh, that's odd. And it's like, bro, <laughs> think about it for two seconds. Oh, my God. Could there be stuff no. you don't know? Could oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is my 16-year-old, too. Oh, my gosh. Read the room. Read the room. <laughs> so it is time to leave. Dumbledore sends Harry's things to the burrow. They're going to do a side quest. Um, Except the invisibility cloak. We're going to need that one. And then the chapter ends with, and now Harry, let us step out into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. If ever there were a Harry Potter tattoo worth getting. (laughs) Yeah, but the adventure is Horace Slughorn. I don't know, man. Yeah, but, but like John Muir in context ain't a peach either. You know, people love quoting him on his adventure bits. <laughs> but like Dumbledore's kind of bringing in Harry as almost an equal in this quest. Like it is like we're gonna we're two bros adventuring together now, right? And so it is kind of exciting. I love the end of that chapter. Like I love a chapter that's not. It does not allow you to stop reading. Like, yeah. like it's like, oh, must go on to the next one. What is this adventure? Yeah, Even if totally. it's Horace Slughorn. We don't know that. <laughs> and he is fun. He is a very fun character. So it's not like I'm displeased to meet him. 
Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Slug. Part of part of why I love this book so much is because I love Slughorn so much, and he's just so like I know people like this. I know. Like, <laughs> it's I a know very real character. A couple people who are just like they want to be name droppers because they feel a little insecure, but they really have done some really awesome things, and they shouldn't yeah. be. But they let themselves go and like, you know, so just even the fact that they're going out. And then, you know, when you know what he knows and how he knows it and the role he may have played, you know, it really is an adventure, you know, that they're that they're stepping out into the night. Yeah. Well, that is the end of the chapter. Katie, did you have any final thoughts or feelings or anything we missed that you want to circle back to? No, I mean, I when I read this chapter, I was like, "How are we going to have this conversation in one hour?" Because we, it's a, we did it's it. So much. We did it. We did it. I know. We there's so much. <laughs> it's this. It's a really great, rich chapter that goes in all kinds of different directions. So yeah. I just loved it. I love this conversation about it. Really good questions. And it's pretty short. Like this is a 12 page chapter in a time when mo- these chapters are like 25 pages. So it was kind of short, and especially when I went into it being like oh great this is like the recap chapter my expectations were low and then I was like oh yeah I forgot that this one's way better yeah what about you Emily any final thoughts or things that we missed I mean I just have to say Agapanthus one more time because (laughs) but I mean really thematically I mean because I think Katie you know you said the the her chapter titles are always so wonderfully multivalent in terms of their meaning but will and won't you know obviously applies, you know, to the will of Sirius Black and then the won'ts of Creature, you know, um, right. and, and the will of Harry and, and Albus and the will of the Dursleys even. But then it kind of flips into this whole, this idea of the what her sister, um, you know, left behind after mm. her death and, and the will, you know, n- not that I don't know if there was a will, but the, you know, having Harry stay with the Dursleys and how they just really refused to love him the way that they loved their own son and the way that they cared for their own son and wow. the struggle of their will against the will of uh, her sister and um, Dumbledore himself even. So I think that, that it is really um, multivalent in that sense. And it all comes back to that. Agapanthus. Damn. Yeah. And like Lily's will is also her will. You know what I mean? Does yeah. That make sense? Right. <laughs> right. And it comes through with Harry, right? He gets that will to just love and to be there and to lay your life down for your friends in the same yeah. way that she did for him. Well, and yeah. her willingness to do that is what's protected him and kept this whole thing going for so long. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's true. Brooke, any final thoughts about the chapter? No, I am glad to be in this book, honestly. It's Me too, a lot of I love fun. this one. It's such a huge relief after Order of the Phoenix. <gasps> the Order of the Phoenix is a hard one. It's yeah. the only one I haven't reread beginning to end. I've listened to it on tape, but all caps Harry is just tough. It's and having lived with a 15-year-old for the last year. It's too real. <laughs> like, it's very real. Like, I'm not saying it's inaccurate, but that's a hard That's a hard year. Yeah. And uh, it was, it's, it's 16 is better. 16 is better. Right, I do. I love all of the rom com shit that we're about to get. Like Me I too. love yeah. so much. So let's move on to plugs. Katie, Emily, remind the people where you are on the internet and how they can find you and listen to you. We are the Potterversity podcast on MuggleNet. So if you go to MuggleNet, we're in the MuggleNet family, uh, and uh, you are invited to listen to all those episodes. We also are just about to put out a companion book that is made up of essays from some of our favorite guests. And Emily and I each have essays in there as well. Uh, And lots of really cool stuff there that I think is really in keeping with a lot of what you do. 
on this podcast, close readings and also call outs, you know, for, yes. for, for bad ideas, problematic ideas. And um, and that is probably going to be coming out. That's from McFarland Press. That'll be coming out in the fall. So um, I hope everybody will stay tuned for that. Awesome. And What's it called? It's called Potterversity. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Essays Exploring the World of Harry Potter. Oh, that's so cool. I see it right here on... Um bookshop.org all links yeah. to that is in the show notes and all and everything else that they've mentioned is in the show notes great yep and i am online at emilystrand.com um i'm a musician you can also listen to my music there um and i am on twitter at if we're allowed to still say uh, the word twitter you are um, we are allowed <laughs> begrudgingly at, allowed <laughs> at ekc strand um and I don't do a whole lot of other social media just because I'm like, ah, I can't learn new things. Um, and then I have so okay. uh, my Star Wars book that just came out. I have a Star Trek book from the same publisher that just came out um, in cool. April. So I know all the nerd things. All the Emily's, really? got a, Emily's got a bunch of books. She's been doing yeah. a lot of proofing. Yeah, <laughs> that's that why is I, awesome. I can't see properly anymore. I was like looking at the page now. I was like, literally, I can't read that page number, guys. Like, I need new glasses because <laughs> there's just been too much staring at the screen looking for <laughs> looking for stray formatting and footnotes. Yes, <laughs> so. I can certainly relate to that. Yeah, and Potterversity also has social media. So please do join us on Potterversity Facebook and Instagram and we have Twitter, right, Emily? We do <laughs> have Twitter. I don't, I don't yes. do the twi- I don't do the twittering. Laurie, Laurie Becker, our, uh, our producer, handles the social media, most of the social media, and I think Emma helps as well. So, so yeah, so Laurie is very good about uh, making our presence felt on those. And platforms. we love to yeah. hear from people too. So yeah, a lot of times we read um, emails from listeners on the show. So I think, and we get ideas. People are like, "We want mm-hmm. an episode about this." And Ooh, we do it. love when the listeners just tell me what to cover. Yeah, yeah, please. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Katie, what is something that you've been reading or watching or listening to or playing or thinking about lately that you think the listeners of our podcast would enjoy? Cool. Well, so, you know, I am working on a Princess Bride thing right now. So so I'm doing a lot of stuff with that. And that if you haven't read the book, The Princess Bride, you should totally read it. The movie, of course, is wonderful. But uh, but the book is really interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, s- some of those elements of fantasy and magic are are really are really cool there. And Harry Potter people would probably like it. And the humor, there's a similar sense of humor. Yeah. And the book is the book is just like the film in terms of the humor. Um, yeah. and I have I would, um the the only book I've ever had that has a fold out map is my mass market paperback edition of the princess bride. The map folds out so you can refer to it while still reading. It's incredible. That is phenomenal. My first time reading it, I like aggressively Googled how to get the unabridged version thinking that that was a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you know, he actually did have like, you could write into something and then later it was an, an on online and you would get like a form letter back. I mean, there was some, you know, thing that in the 1980s you could do. That's crazy. Um, so it was, it's really cool. It's a fun, a, a whole fun series there. So um, I also, I was thinking about in terms of like films that I like, and I did a paper where I compared Harry Potter and uh, the film Kubo and the Two Strings. And if you haven't oh. watched that, delightful i love it there's something really interesting about it and i had a whole mirror of erised thing going on with that um i think it's directly i think those people like wanted to rewrite 
the end of Harry Potter <laughs> wow. and have some redemption there. Uh, and so I, I really love that one. And then also I thought people might like, there's this um, animator, I think his name's Tom Moore is the director, and he's got two that you can get access to. And the third one I can't watch for some reason it's not in the U.S. Oh, it's on Apple TV, which I'm not, I'm not going to oh. subscribe <laughs> to another one. But um, Song of the Sea is the first one. It's about a selkie, a, a little, a, like a, a guy who has a sister who's a selkie and their children. And very, Aww. it's just, it's just beautiful. And the animation is really different. It's not Disney type animation, which I also like, but it's, it's distinct and artistic. And the other one is called Book of Kells, which is about um, oh, I've basically a monastery that mm-hmm. is being attacked by Vikings. And they're both so really good. imaginative and deep in that way that Harry Potter is. And yet done on a level anybody can access it. And so those are my recommendations. Awesome. Those are some really solid recommendations. Thank you so much. Um, Emily, what about you? What have you been reading? Listen, I almost said writing. No, do that. You do. That's real for you. A lot of other people that wouldn't make sense. Reading, writing, <laughs> listening to, playing. What are, do you have to recommend to the listeners? Uh, I do. I, um, you know, I'm enjoying the heck out of Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, uh, right now, and um, I've I've burned through all of Star Trek in the last two years. Um, Whoa, coming that's a from feat. there's a lot of it. There's a lot, and I, I'd only really ever watched the original series. So, um, but I figured if I was going to edit a scholarly book on Star Trek, I probably sure. ought to have watched it. So I've burned through all of it, and I'm on Deep Space Nine. It's the last series I have to watch, and I'm really. Really enjoying, um, especially Avery Brooks's performance. Um, as yeah, Emily, Captain didn't Cisco. I tell you that you would love Deep Space Nine? It's you religion. did. It's religion. You, it is. There's so much of that going on, and it's it's super good. But and I had a totally other book I was going to recommend recommend, but then Katie um, brought up Connie Win- Willis, and I have to say, like literally the best science fiction book I have read in the past, I would say five years is the Doomsday Book by Connie Willis, and it's a super thick book, but it's an awesome especially in this post-pandemic world yeah it's a total page turner it's a time travel book so but it's like really scientific um in terms of the way it approaches it and really it's a great book um people who love history will love this book because this young person gets transported back into the middle ages and ends up not where she was meant to be in the middle of the beginning of the black plague and it's in a time of pandemic especially um I think that this world that we're living in now it'll resonate in a new way more much more so than when it was first written and um, although it's really funny when they're walking around and I'm just like, hey, guys, just put on some masks. Like, yeah. that'd be a good idea. <laughs> you know, masks are like a superpower. <laughs> um, so so Connie Willis, the Doomsday Book, is really just such a great book that I had never even heard of until recently. Yeah. So cool. That um, sounds amazing. Recommend. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Brooke, what about you? I've been Brooke Mathill. You can find me on Instagram at passion for parks mostly post. A lot of pictures of national parks right now. I'm going through a lot of my photos from Glacier Bay National Park up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Brooke, my yeah. husband is a geologist, and he teaches a freshman seminar on national parks. I think he's doing it this fall. Oh, that's so, so cool. He's big into national parks. <laughs> Does that's he do awesome. it remotely? Can I audit it? <laughs> because <laughs> i uh, i love national parks i've been to 60 of the 63 thus wow. far wow so i think he worked at the badlands oh, oh the badlands, badlands. Are cool. yeah tina's also been yeah i love badlands especially geologically that's a fascinating place to get yeah. to be as a geologist you can follow me on instagram uh check out what i've got going on there in terms of media that i recommend i just finished reading winter's bone by daniel woodrell and uh, it's, if you've seen the movie, it's the same, same, but different. 
If you've never read Daniel Woodrell, it's the furthest thing from Harry Potter, actually, probably. Um, But he really does write characters and stories that I've simply never read anywhere else. It's it's kind of like a grungy Faulkner vibe, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. if you like that at all. Um, But the his handling of his characters and his settings, which is mostly like deeply impoverished areas of the Ozarks, is just fascinating. You'll either love it or hate it, but it's something you will have (laughs) never touched before. It's just completely alien to most of the things I've ever read. Um, So I did really like it. So any Daniel Woodrell novel works, but I did like Winter's Bone probably the most of what I've read from him so far. That's cool. I'll have to check that out because after working in fiction editing for like 10 years, the best thing a book can be to me at this point is surprising. So I'll (laughs) definitely have to check that out. (laughs) Next time you're over, remind me to give you Tomato Red. I think you'd really like that one. Okay, that sounds good. Well, Katie, Emily, thank you so much for joining us for this unexpectedly long and delightful episode of the Restricted Section. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thanks, Christina, for having us on. Thanks, Brooke. It was delightful to meet you guys, too. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having us. Yeah, it's always good to connect with other people in the fandom and be like, you're nerds just like us. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And thank you, Brooke, as always, for being my co-captain. Happy to not have to do bedtime with an infant. (laughs) That's my excuse. (laughs) Hell yeah. Well, and that's the end of the episode. And I usually end the episode after I say that's the end of the episode. So (laughs) Nice. Perfect. I like it. Simple. Clear. To the point. (laughs) That's it, potheads. Thanks for listening to the Restricted Section. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Christina Kahn. Our theme music was produced by Ryan Kahn. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Please connect with us on Twitter at RestrictedPod, on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod, on Facebook at RestrictedSectionPod, or in our Facebook group, The Restricted Section Detention Crew. Join our Patreon to get access to our Discord server, our bonus episodes, and other cool perks. We're also very happy to be a member of Deus Ex Media, where all you fucking nerds can find all kinds of fandom podcasts to suit your fancy. Have you ever gotten so distracted in Stardew Valley that you forgot to sleep? Have you realized that you have a whole room in your house full of dolls? Or have you even bored your friends to sleep talking about your passion? Well then, Content Capable is the podcast for you. Join me, Sam, as I chat to people passionate about what they do, asking questions about how they fell in love with their passion, what they do, and how it interacts with their day-to-day lives. Catch the podcast every Monday as I find out what makes someone tick, all while gleaning interesting and insightful life lessons along the way. There'll be laughs, a bit of crying, a whole lot of conversations, and we learn just a little bit more about the world around us. My husband is an audiophile, and so he just routinely upgrades my microphone without my asking. And I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Acts of service, you know? I also own this mic because Christina's husband sent me links and was like, this is what I would get if I had your budget (laughs) and needed to get a mic for Christina. (laughs) 
Media.